I wanted to uh, introduce you to Mike and Kara Claxton. Everybody say hi, Mike and Kara. <laughs> and they have Austin Michael and Owen Kurt Lee Claxton. It's a special guy that has that many names, for sure, for sure. And then we have Tyler and Amy Crawford. Got their hands full. <laughs> And they have brought with them, obviously, all of their children, but the smallest one is Josie May. And just real quick, I wanted to let you know that Austin, the name Austin means majestic and venerable, which commands respect because of noble character. That's a beautiful thought. And Owen is a gracious gift of God. Josie is God is my salvation, is the, the meaning of her name, which is really closely related to the word Joshua or Yahshua or Jesus. So God is my salvation. And so just in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I want you to pray this prayer over these children with their parents. And so you can just, um, if, you, if you feel led to extend your hand, you can, that's fine. And so right now, creator of heaven and earth, I come to you in the name of Jesus, thanking you for the gift of these children. May Austin and Owen grow to respect Mike and Kara. Father, give them wisdom so that they can bring great joy to their family. May Josie experience the salvation of God in every area of her life as she grows. I pray that they will all learn to follow Jesus at an early age. May they grow to love you with their whole heart. Help them to love their neighbor the way that they love themselves. Today we offer them as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you. I pray that they won't love the things of this world, but I pray that they will learn what your perfect will is for their life. God, I pray that they will be healthy. May they find favor with you and with man. And Father, when the timing is right, bless them with a mate that loves and serves you. May they never forget how much we love them. May they never forget how much you love them. And I speak this blessing over them in the name of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. And then for, for the mom and dad, because really, it's, it's about dedicating the children, but it's about dedicating the mom and dad, right, to raise their children in the way that, the, that the, the ways of Jesus and, the, and learning to follow him. And so as a church, let's pray this prayer. And as a church, we partner with them. It's our responsibility to come alongside them because they've entrusted themselves to us, right? right? They've come here to this place, and now we want to be a part of that blessing. So we just pray this over the parents. Father, right now I pray... The two greatest commandments over these, these moms and these dads. I pray that they would love you, Lord, with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that they would love their neighbor as they love themselves. And God, because when they love that way, it'll model for their children how to love you and how to love others. That's the best and the most important thing we can teach our kids. God, bless them and keep them. May your face shine upon them today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And we have a, a gift for the parents. It's actually a, it's a storybook. The Jesus Storybook Bible has the story of Jesus all throughout Scripture. And so they can read it with their children and help them to remember the most important things. Hey, we've got a book for you. Awesome. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you. Give it up for our families. Bless you. Bless you guys. I want to introduce to you Debbie Williams. Debbie, come on. Uh, I guess coming up, they're going to show a little video real quick. But Debbie is with with um, Hillcrest Transitional Housing Ministry right here in Platte City. There's a small little video we're going to show you, kind of a testimony of the difference this is making in our community, and she's going to share a few 
things of how you can get involved in Hillcrest. Good. They were into the wrong things, and Hillcrest was a, a place where I could get established. Being that I had no one up here or no place to go, I was resistant to it because I was having people tell me how to budget and spend my money, and, you know, at first it was kind of like, no, but then, you know, you realize that they're trying to teach you. Just the fact that different churches sponsor each apartment is really it's really unique and interesting because they get that one-on-one -on -one time with that person, that resident that's there, and that they're really encouraging. If I come, if I, you know, fall or if I'm down, they lift me up and they edify me, you know, in Christ, and that's amazing. I've got a car now and my own place, and I've enrolled in MCC in college here. Just for me to be somewhere in my life where I'm paying my own bills, I'm being responsible. You know, I've got that security and that stability in my life that I've never, that I've always lacked my whole life, and now that I have that. I can only thank God, you know, and Hillcrest. Through Hillcrest, Jesus is working amazing things. I think so, yes. just wanted to give you guys uh, firsthand knowledge of just the difference that Platte City is making in the lives of our residents. And so just worshiping in the body of Christ, my heart is just that Hillcrest works with all denominations for one purpose to glorify God and to have the residents be able to experience the love of God the value and the worth of who they are we're trying to help just partner in with more and more churches as Nikki was sharing is just that so many times our residents have not had that foundation of family life they've not had that foundation of what it's like to have a nurturing and encouraging parent in their lives. And so as we just um, wanna just open up some opportunities, we bought some properties over on Vine Street. And I know that you guys know a lot about the thrift store because that is a lot of visibility, but a lot of times people don't know that we have properties here in Platte City and also in Parkville for residents to get back on their feet we're a program that wants to help up, not give a handout. And so the program is designed to help working homeless people be able to pay off their barrier debt. So even if a person is homeless, when they first apply to the program, they have to have a job because we want it to be where that they are providing for themselves, not just giving a hand out to them. And so when the thrift store came into Platte City a couple of years ago, it showed more and more what the true needs are in our community. We already had properties over on 2nd Street, and some of you guys have already been there on 2nd Street, and I thank you guys for um, painting our office and our community room and then just being a blessing of cleaning out the shed and our pantry. And so we bought some properties on Vine Street because there's a greater need in our community to house the homeless. And so over on Vine Street, we're looking for people to just come alongside and nurture. So in your bulletin, there says some opportunities that we've um, provided for if people wanna take advantage of it. We actually have an apartment ready right now, fully furnished, 
We're moving in a family this weekend, but we're lacking the nurturers and the encouragers. Nurturers are just people that would be willing to provide a meal once a week for a family, to get to know them, to kind of reduce some stress in their life. Because when they're coming into our program, it's a high accountability program. They have to be using all of their money from their paycheck to either be paying on their bills or paying off debt. So a lot of them are like working a full-time job, two part-time jobs, a full-time job and a part-time job to pay off all their debt load. And so what a privilege it is for the body of Christ to be the body of Christ and provide a meal for a family. So if you are interested in doing that, I would love for you to sign up after or see me up after. If you want to be one who just encourages, they can't use their money to go get a cup of coffee or to go to a movie. And if you just want to be an encourager that is walking alongside, a lot of times that's all that they need is just someone who believes in them. They've believed the lies about themselves. And so they just need somebody to speak encouragement to them. And so it just gives some opportunity for the body of Christ to truly be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so as you look down, just to see what you might be willing to do. I wanted to give a face and a name to a person because that's who they are. They're people. So many times we think of homeless people and have a preconceived idea of what a homeless person looks like. And so the majority of homeless people that we have in our apartments are single moms. And so a lot of times they just need another shoulder to kind of lean on to kind of understand it's going to be okay. There's other opportunities that we have for just a workday project to get the apartments up and ready for the families to be able to move in. So if you are interested in any of those, we would love to talk with you. I've put my phone number down for the office, but if you want my cell phone number also, but I'll be at the back when we leave. And I just wanna say thank you from the bottom of my heart for supporting Hillcrest, no matter if it's on the thrift store side or if you've come down on the housing side. Your dollars and your time are making a difference. So thank you very much. I want to uh, take a moment to pray for Debbie because one thing you don't know about Debbie, some of you might, but Debbie is a prayer warrior. And that means she walks around in our community and she prays and she prays and she prays. And so when you do that, you kind of become a target for the enemy. And so we're going to pray specifically for her together as a church. That's one of the gifts that we can give her for sure. So Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus and we lift up your servant, Debbie, to you. And we thank you for... The, the way that she has invested her heart and her soul, her time and her life into our community. And she has done it on her knees. She's done it with her hands by serving and with her heart and her mouth by encouraging. And so, Father, we just lift her up to you. We pray a prayer of protection upon her. God, pour out favor upon her. Uh, Lord, I pray that there'll be many people in our community, in our church, that will come and come alongside and we will do this together because we are better together than we could be on our own. So, Father, we pray for her right now. We thank you for her coming and being a part of our, our service today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you, Debbie. Thank you. Wow. So what a great uh, opportunity to get involved right here locally. And the reason why I wanted Debbie to come is because we're talking this morning about ministry and evangelism. And this is just one practical way of how to do ministry 
right here in Platte City. And so last week we had, we had the opportunity to look a little bit inward, look inward towards the, the three ships of church life, the fellowship, discipleship, and worship. And how those things are kind of like inward transformation when we come together in this place and, and we, we begin to get shaped and molded for something greater than just being in this place, which, is, which I love being here. And I love church. I'm a church junkie. I just love being around church people and being in God's place to worship. But once we, once we begin to get transformed and, and begin to experience the compassionate love of the Father, which we talked about last week in our mission statement, then we need to look outward. And so I had my, had my, my three teenage girl volunteers. You can come up too, Jewel, and you can help Eliza. Come on, Eliza. Come on, come on up. Just come on up. Don't argue with me. I'm your father, all right? Come on. Teenage girls. We got some clapping back there. That's right. All right, so come here. So last week, Emma, remember how we did this? You're kind of like getting a circle, just the three of you. All right, in a circle. Hold hands. All right, good. So last week, and I know Courtney was involved in this, but we'll give her a break. She's back there hanging out with her dad. Um, so last week, we were looking inward. So we're we're learning how to just truly love one another, serve one another, and learning how to become more like Jesus and learn how to, to worship. And so this is kind of what that would look like. But today, I want to change the picture a little bit. I want you guys to turn with your backs towards each other, looking outward with your hands out. Hands out like this. All right, so they are now in a position to serve, all right, in a position to give, in a position to do ministry all right so now they're looking out into the community how are how can we be Jesus to the community that we're a part of right so that's the visible picture that I wanted you to get I right, give it up for our faithful volunteers thank you they rehearsed that all night last night it's amazing you guys are incredible so we're talking about ministry meaning this you were shaped to serve God you were shaped to serve God and then we will look at evangelism, which is you were made for a mission. Shaped to serve, made for a mission. And that is part of the, the last part of our mission statement when it goes to discovering the calling he has for your life. Like when you get into a place where you're serving God and others and you begin to feel like an incredible joy that comes along with it, then you're like, man, this is what I was made for. Like, this right here was my purpose. Maybe you don't see this. Maybe you do. But when I get a chance to be, to do what a pastor does, that's when I feel the most complete. Because this is the calling God has placed on my life. And just this week, I've had the opportunities to do a funeral then I had an opportunity to do a wedding. And then I have an opportunity to, to counsel or to whatever it is that God allows me to do during the week. That's when I feel the most purpose. When I feel like this is what God has called me to do. And so I want to sh share this thought with you. I want to share this thought about ministry in this context. We do ministry as we go. As we live, as we move, and as we have our, 
have our being here on earth. We do ministry. Wherever it is that you are, think about this. As we walk out of this place, how many different directions are we going to go? A lot. A lot of different directions. And as a result of that, we can accomplish so much more, right, as we walk out of this place. Because we're going to go and we're going to touch different uh, zip codes and different uh, places of business maybe, different restaurants. And everywhere we go, we can be Jesus right there. And so that's, I'm going to kind of help you form that thought. So I want to read this, uh, this is a quote, it comes out of, a, out of a book that was written by this lady who is an ordained minister of, of the Methodist Church in Iowa, and she wrote in this book called Cultivating Missional Communities. So this is a sense of wherever it is that we are, that's where we can minister, and so this is what she says. She said, the early followers of Jesus were not called people of the experience or people of right doctrine or the people of moral values. They weren't even called the people of the church. The title early Christians received was people of the way, which is kind of interesting are you, a, are you a follower of the way? That was what they would say. And it's interesting that Jesus called himself the way, the truth, and the life. They were known for the way that they lived, not only for what they believed or valued. Christians were associated with a particular and discernible way of living and relating that both grew out of their faith and gave testimony to their faith. More than just individuals who had changed their religious position, they were now a new people, a new community, embarking on a new way of life, a life worthy of their calling. I love that thought. They were known for the way that they lived. Remember last week when the, the girls that were up front, if you were here, they modeled what discipleship looked like, and they naturally got down on their knees to wash the other person's feet. And Jesus said in John chapter 13 that that's how they will know that you belong to me when you love each other like that. When we love well, other people notice. Because I'll tell you, friends, when we don't love each other well, other people notice. And they talk about it. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of people won't come to church. Well, I won't go to church. You see the way they treat each other? They treat each other terrible there. Why would I want to go there? They're mean to each other. And let me just say from this stage, that will not happen in our church. I will not allow it. If you're going to be mean to each other, then go be mean somewhere else. Because we are not going to treat each other harshly. Now, we'll be honest with each other. We'll challenge one another, but we'll do it with so much love and grace that it'll hurt a little bit, but then it'll feel really good when it's over. Does that make sense? Because that's the way I believe the church was created to function. Jesus, when he walked on the earth, he demonstrated this kind of new life. This comes from a book called I Was a Stranger. And this is a Christian theology of hospitality. How to just welcome one another and love one another by an, an author named Arthur Sutherland. And he, he, he uses this, this analogy, this thought about Jesus. Jesus' hospitality to the displaced and distressed was not calculated, but it was casual. It's as if Jesus lived his life 
as a type of present participle. This thought of, as he was going, Jesus saw. As he was going along, he looked around, just like I'm looking around in the crowd, and I see. I see different faces and different families and different people. And if I kind of know some of your story, I see kind of some of your challenges and different needs. And Jesus, as he was going, he saw. And then he gives us this thought. He goes, most churches of the country continue to promote program after program, and then they call a committee after another committee to care for the poor, the naked, and the hungry. Listen, we are not going to form a committee to figure out how to care for people in Hillcrest. We're not going to do it. Instead, we've just given you an opportunity to respond, and if God tugs on your heart, then do it. And then experience the blessing and the challenges and all the stuff that comes along with it. There will be no committee. Matter of fact, we just gave you the opportunity to serve. And it says, there is merit, of course, in organization. And there is something good to be done by working together. I mean, Hillcrest is an organization. They're, they're organized. They've got a structure. There is a, there is a method to their madness, for sure, to minister to the needs of people. But they are counting on people like us to fill the call and to, to respond. Then it goes on to say, but these efforts, as noble as they are, begin the process of institutionalizing care. And when that happens, our ability to see the stranger as we are going becomes eroded. Like we miss out on it because that's really not part of our program today. Like, no, I signed up to do ministry next week, and so I don't really have time. I don't really see the need right now because I'm going to do that later. But you just walk by 10 people that needed something, maybe a kind word or a, or a handout or whatever, and we miss that sometimes because, oh, no, I'm a part of that ministry at my church, and I'm only, I only serve once a week or once a month, and so the rest of the time I don't serve. No, we're never off duty. I want, that, that is one of the things that's the greatest part and the most difficult part about being a pastor. I never, you're never off duty. Though I will be off the grid for a few days on vacation, but while I'm there, if we run into somebody that has a need, though my family will be trying to pull me away from it, I'll probably look to try to meet it, all right, some way or somehow. We're not going to welcome strangers into our condominium, by the way, girls, just so you know. That's right, we wouldn't even let them bring their friends with them because we were saying this is just a family thing. It says, clothing and feeding, welcoming and visiting becomes an agenda. It says, by adopting the vision of Jesus, by seeing as and how Jesus sees, our inclination towards hospitality will become more natural and unforced. There's a, there's a passage um, in Scripture in the message version of the Bible that says, we lived out this unforced rhythm of grace. Like, God's grace comes to us, and then we just allow it to be on to someone else that we come in contact with. Because don't you like God's grace and his mercy in your life? And he's, don't you like that feeling? Like, man, well, God has just blessed me, and I don't really feel worthy of it, but God, thank you. Oh, man, I want to give this away to someone else so they can experience and feel it too. So here's an example from Scripture. So let's look in the book of Mark. If you have your Bible with you, if you have a Bible, you have some, if you have a phone service that you can get service in here that's pretty amazing but look at and if you have a phone app for your bible you could look on that mark chapter 6 mark chapter 6 we'll, we'll, we, we will start in verse 30 but to give you a little bit of of context for the story jesus previously 
had sent out his 12 disciples two by two to go out of the church, in a sense, and do ministry. Go out. Don't take anything with you. It's kind of like this thought of, you only need me. You don't need anything else. You just need me. And go and do ministry. Meet the needs of people. Set people free from demonic oppression. Do, just do whatever you feel called to do at that particular moment. And then come back and report to me what it was that happened. Well, this stirred up some people. <laughs> they heard about all this that had been going on in Jesus' name. Jesus started to become pretty well known. And all the other famous people in the area started to get a little bit jealous because they want all the glory for themselves. And in verse 30, it says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. And then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. And so Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Which is an interesting thought. Even Jesus himself needed to get away occasionally to be with his closest followers. To maybe, sometimes it was just him and the Father to get away to become more available when he was with people. Does that make sense? Don't feel bad about spending some time, some quiet time alone or or taking a week off or getting away for a little while so that when you're back, you are more present than you were before because you can be here all the time and not really be present. And that's a danger sometimes because we get so wrapped up in everything that's going on. And our lives are so busy. We can't allow that to be an excuse, though, to keep us from serving, by the way. Jesus, though, got away to a quiet place to get some rest And so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all of the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed, and listen to this, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he began to teach them many things. Now by this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him, and they said, this is a remote place, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But I love Jesus' answer. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it them to, to them to eat? And so then Jesus asked this question, how many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. And when they found out, they said, five, five loaves and two fish. And then Jesus directed them to have all of the people sit down in the groups, in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Now, for one, was it just men? 
Or do you think men had with them their families? More than likely, their families were with them. Some, maybe not all. So it was more than just 5,000 people that were fed that day with five loaves and two fish. Now, obviously, wow, that's a miracle. Um, sometimes when, we are, when our family was all together and we had five kids and two of us, uh, two adults, sometimes we'd go to eat somewhere and we'd pray the five loaves and <laughs> two fish prayer. You know, like, God, make this go further than it, than it really can go, you know, and, and God always seemed to provide. So what can we learn from this passage of Scripture when it comes to ministry? For one, Jesus saw the need, okay, he said he saw the crowd, and then he had compassion for them. So this sense of it went from his head to his heart and then to his hands because he started to meet their, their practical physical needs. And I love this thought. He used what he had and was thankful that he had it. It's a, good, it's a good lesson for us. Like, what, what do I have, God, that, you can, that I can use to serve you? It may not be what this other church has, or it may not be what this other person has, but what I have, I can use it to serve the Lord with it. And, and I think one of the keys is, is just being thankful for what it is you do have. I don't have much, God, but what I do have belongs to you. How can I bless somebody else with it? So let me ask you this question. What do you have that God can use to bless other people? Every single one of you, without a doubt, I believe in my heart, has something God can use. Now, it's, it's rather obvious sometimes when it's someone with a musical gift. Well, you have a musical gift. You can use it to serve God. Doesn't mean you have to serve God with it. Doesn't mean you might serve God. You might serve yourself. Who knows? You might do both. That might be your career and your ministry all at the same time. All of you have something that you can use to bless others, serve him and bless others. So I was having this conversation with, uh, with Ginger the other day. We were meeting, and sometimes I'll like bounce my sermon off of her just to see what she thinks, get, a, get, some, get some response. And she started sharing this, this, these thoughts about minister, doing ministry or serving so with, even with thoughts of like, how can I get involved in serving in the church or in the community? And so the first thing that, I, that she was talking about is she started serving. Like, you, you got to start somewhere, right? Do, just do something. Just start and get involved somehow. Obviously, if it's in an area that you're really gifted in or good at or passionate about, that's a great place to start. But you might not know what that is yet, but start somewhere. And then when you start... Don't give up so quick. Even if it's not something you're really passionate about, stay serving. Stay serving until you're relieved of that duty, <laughs> you know? Or you just get to the point where you say, I just can't do it anymore. I'll, I'll do anything else. Just don't make me go into the children's ministry. All right, I'll do anything else. But start serving and stay serving because what will happen is it could potentially open a door to another area of ministry if you stay in it long enough. You get out too soon, you might not really figure out what it is you're supposed to do. Then she shared uh, an interesting story about Zach. Raise your hand, Zach. Zach is our audio and, and technical sound guy, which, by the way, shameless plug right here. He needs some help, all right, on Sunday morning, setting all this stuff up and putting it all away. If you have that, like, if you're good with that kind of stuff, like you're saying, I can't do kids, but I can do some 
cords and buttons and whatever, then you need to see Zach and get, get worked out because there's eventually going to be time where the zoo pants need to be away for a while to have some rest, and then somebody else has to do this job. And it's not an easy job. But if that's your gift, see Zach. All right? Is that good enough? Good? Awesome. All right. So here's the thing. Zach wanted to get involved in tech stuff at this, the previous church he was at, but instead he ended up checking in children in the children's ministry area, just checking them in as they come up, entering stuff in the computer, getting them a name tag or whatever. But then there was a need, and they came to, to Zach to meet the need, and he went and met it, and the rest is history because they figured out how talented he was and how good he was at that particular task. They took him away from what he was doing, put him where they needed him the most, and now he's here doing it for us. See, that would have never happened if he wouldn't have started serving in that area. All right, that makes sense? Pretty practical stuff. Jesus saw a need, he met the need, and he's saying the same thing to us. As you go, as you see a need, if you have the resources to meet it, meet it. All right, so then we're going to look at evangelism as we've got to finish up our time here. Okay, so evangelism, evangelism is a scary word because most of the time, most people think, oh, that means I have to go share my faith in public with people, and I don't know what to say, and I can't remember all the Bible verses, and I'll get so messed up, and then they'll, they'll start convincing me that I don't even really believe, and I don't know what I'm going to do. We get freaked out about evangelism. Okay, I want, I want to just put you at ease. It doesn't have to be that complicated evangelism is the it it is the proclamation of the good news that is in Jesus Christ that is the gospel it's ministry with words now there's some action involved too but it also involves words and so I want to share this this interesting story that was on somebody shared on Facebook this is, an inter- this is just one way of evangelizing. I'm not necessarily saying this is how we should do it, but this is one way you could evangelize. So, there was a married couple in Florida. Apparently, they found out and discovered what their calling is. They employed a very unique evangelistic strategy to help people get to heaven because that's what evangelism can do. Is we can help people who are lost be found, they're dead, they become alive because of the good news of Jesus Christ. So listen to the strategy they used. They were arrested a few days ago for selling golden tickets to heaven to hundreds of people. Hundreds of people bought golden tickets. Now I'm not sure who I'm more concerned about, the people selling the golden tickets or the people who are actually buying them. So listen to this. They sold the tickets on the street for $99.99 per ticket. Not an even hundred. $99.99. Marketing technique. And if you act now, you could get two for one special today and today only. No, that's not what they said. But they told buyers that the, sol- the solid gold tickets would, would reserve them a spot in heaven. And that simply present the ticket at the pearly gates and you're in. That's the evangelism strategy. So right here, I have some golden tickets. I want to hand each one. No, that that's, doesn't work. That's not the way to heaven, but listen to this. The man said, it was Jesus who gave them golden tickets to me behind the KFC and said, sell them so I could get some money to go to outer space. You should arrest Jesus because he's the one who gave me the golden tickets and said, sell them. And then he said, I'm willing to wear a wire and we can set Jesus up. 
This is true, people. This actually happened. We're living in America. People said, the police said they confiscated over $10,000 in cash, some drug paraphernalia, duh, <laughs> and a baby alligator. That's one way to evangelize, one way to help people get to heaven. Sell them golden tickets. We wish it worked that easy. It gets you into a chocolate factory, but it won't get you to heaven. Obviously, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me, through faith in Jesus. That's the way to get to heaven. So there are many different ways to evangelize, and we'll go through these real quick. There's street corner or open-air preaching evangelism in a public place. Now, that freaks a lot of people out, and sometimes when you see those people, you run the other way, and sometimes those people aren't very nice. They're not really preaching God's love. It's kind of condemnation, and it's, it's scary. But there's a lot of truth in what they say. They just should probably say it in a different way. When we went to Peru on a mission trip, and we went to El Salvador, and we did the same thing, we would go to an open-air place. We'd go to, like, the city square. We would put on some American hip-hop music. We would do a little dance a routine, draw a crowd, and then we would share a, a dramatic drama, dramatic presentation of the gospel. And then I would preach openly in English and my interpreter would respond in Spanish and we would give opportunities for people to give their life to Jesus right there and people would people would get down on their knees and pray to receive Christ as their savior it's powerful but I've noticed that in different countries it's more effective than here in America in America people are like ah I don't have time for that and it's not nearly as effective but in but in a foreign country, I saw probably 100 people over a period of time come to know Jesus. It's powerful. There's door-to-door -door evangelism. That's distributing literature, maybe asking for donations for a local pantry or whatever it, whatever it is that you can get the, the door to open and get into some dialogue with them. Maybe encourage them, like, hey, are you involved in a local church? If not, here's some information about our church, whatever. That's... That particular way of evangelism, and I'll just be honest, is kind of, it's kind of difficult, more difficult, especially in our community, because the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses are really good at it. And they, they canvassed the neighborhood. Matter of fact, the, the, some Jehovah's Witnesses came to my house the other day and said, hey, we're just out doing our Christian work. And they shared their literature with me, and I threw it away. But, they, but they're good at it. They're better at it than we are, because it's intimidating, to do that. There could be revivals, like Billy Graham Crusades. Uh, several years ago, when we had the power team come to this auditorium, they filled it up four nights in a row and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hundreds of people came forward to pray to receive Jesus. That's one way to evangelize. One-on-one -on -one evangelism. My friend Brady Rogers is a master at this. He can engage anybody in a conversation and have them crying within minutes. <laughs> you know, and they're like... Do you know the Lord Jesus? He just touch them. Like there's something powerful about it. And that's one way to evangelize. There's friendship evangelism. It's a relationship bridge that is built over time, which is one of the most, really the most effective ways because after a while when you built this bridge, you can cross it with the good news of Jesus Christ. About, you can talk about his death and his resurrection and you can and have that conversation. And then the last one is lifestyle evangelism. It's like living such a good example 
for others to see that they'll want to know what's different about you. And that's an effective way. But listen, there's more than just living it. There, is, there does come a time where you need to speak it. And you need to tell them how they can know Jesus. And this is just a little bit of homework. We don't have time to read it. But look in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Read it. And talk about how can they hear the good news if somebody, go, if somebody doesn't go. And how beautiful are the feet of those who, who preach the good news. And it tells you how you can come to know Jesus. It's a powerful thing. That is the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus. Well, this morning, we're going to share the, uh, we're going to share the Lord's Supper together. You see the table that is set. And this is an opportunity for us to remember what Jesus has done for us. The ministry that Jesus accomplished when he was here on earth. What he was called to do and how he went to the cross and he gave his body as a sacrifice and he shed his blood for the forgiveness of sin. And when we do this, we remember that that's what Jesus did for us. And so when the, you guys come on up, when the music starts playing, when you're ready, this is how we, we do it here, you'll come forward, you'll take a cup and you'll take some bread and, and then step back and wait till everybody has, has the elements in their hand. And then at that particular time, we will we'll walk through the process of receiving it. Now, also this morning, if you came prepared to give, if you have an offering to give, or if you have a, one of those cards that you filled out today, a prayer card or information card, just go ahead and place that in the basket when you come forward. We'll do it all at once. Okay? And so here's what I want to, I want to finish with this. I want, I want to share with you the gospel using G-O-S-P-E-L. It's a simple gospel presentation. So I want you to do me a favor. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to think about this thought. G, God created you to be with him. That's the purpose of your life. He wants to be present in your life. He wants to bless you. He wants to love you. His whole reason for creating you is to be with him. But oh, our sin separates us from God. All have sinned, the Bible says. We've all fallen short of God's glory. We all deserve to be punished. It's our sin that separates us from God. S, sin cannot be removed by good deeds. You cannot make it okay. You cannot sell a golden ticket. You cannot do a good enough deed in order to pay the price for your sin. P, paying the price for sin. Jesus came and he died and he rose again. Jesus paid the price for your sin. He, if you will, is the golden ticket to heaven. And then E, everyone who trusts in Christ alone can have eternal life. It's trusting in the work that Jesus has already accomplished. Believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confessing with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord. When you do that, you'll experience eternal life. And then L, life that is eternal, starts this moment and lasts forever. That is the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. Won't you come?